doctors don't have a clear understanding of it. It started opening up my mind to like, how does the human body work? This is a real thing that really affects people. This is a major pain. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and today we'll be speaking with Maya, who you might know as I'm a roll with it on TikTok. At this point, Maya has over 166,000 TikTok followers, and she just started using TikTok recently. Maya and I share something in common in that we both have a mystery illness that makes it difficult for us to walk, and we both use a wheelchair. She started a TikTok to become an advocate for the disabled community and also to raise funds for a service animal, and she's doing an amazing job at both. So, of course, we'll talk about her mystery illness, but we'll also talk about disability and what it means to her to be disabled, uh, how that reflects in society and ableism and all sorts of really interesting stuff. She's a fantastic, inspiring person, and I felt so lucky that she agreed to coming on the show. Quick content warning, we do talk a bit about Maya's mental health struggles, and she does make mention of the fact that she has attempted suicide in the past. So whenever anything like this comes up on the show, I like to give some sort of resource if anyone out there is struggling and needs to reach out to someone. So if you are struggling with suicidal thoughts, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. You don't need to suffer alone. There is help available. Before we get into our conversation with Maya, there's a couple things that I wanted to talk about at the beginning of the show today. So you may have heard me mention that I am being tested for Wilson's disease. Um, This was the first time in a long time where we actually thought that we might have found the answer to my mystery illness. And I talk about it during this conversation with Maya, and you'll actually hear me bring it up because I was very excited about this. You'll hear me bring it up um, several times throughout the next few episodes. So I actually got the results back from this test and have learned that I don't have Wilson's disease. Um, I decided that I wanted to share this with you as soon as I could instead of, you know, keeping anyone in suspense or keeping anyone hopeful or or excited for me that I might have finally found my diagnosis. Uh, It's been a really hard month to have this uh, potential diagnosis hanging over me. And honestly, it took like at least six months, maybe even longer from the first time that Wilson's was mentioned to me to the point where I actually found out that I definitively don't have the disease. It took so long. And I've just been living in this bubble where I thought that I might have finally found an answer. And obviously, it's pretty crushing to not have found that answer. But, you know, we're looking to the future. I am trying again to get in with a genetics lab because the doctor who tested me for Wilson's still thinks that I might have some sort of a genetic issue, which is causing strange copper levels in my blood. And of course, Wilson's disease is a buildup of copper in your body caused by a genetic defect. So they did a full genetic screening of me and uh, for Wilson's disease, and I don't have any of the genetic defects associated with Wilson's. So yeah, so it's tough. It's, it's been hard. Um, but yeah, we're, we're looking to the future. The one silver lining about this was that if you have Wilson's disease, you actually have to go on a very restrictive diet and not eat anything with copper in it or eat as little copper as possible. So I, you know, the doctor didn't tell me to do this, but I wanted to. So I did it. I don't know if it was safe or not, but this is what I did. I put myself on the low copper diet for the month that I was waiting for those Wilson's disease tests to come back. Um, for two reasons. One, I wanted to try the diet and get a head start if I did have Wilson's disease. And two, I wanted to give myself um, something that would be a relief if I didn't have Wilson's disease. So, I mean, I had to take out chocolate, pork, 
beans, lentils, um, a whole ton of different foods, leafy greens. There's just so many things that have a lot of copper in them. So I ate minimal amounts of all of that for this whole month. And chocolate is a, a tough one because I'm a chocoholic. So as soon as I found out I didn't have Wilson's disease, I was able to go back to my regular diet. And that has felt like such a relief. So in the midst of this huge disappointment, I also have all of these foods back in my diet that are so comforting. So I'm really glad that I did that because it gave me something to look forward to even in the worst case, which is continuing to not have a diagnosis for my mystery illness. So, you know, this is, I, I share that because this was an example of me trying to set myself up to be happy because the important thing is happiness. You know, the important thing is finding ways to be as happy as possible about whatever it is that you're dealing with. And this has really helped me. Um, you know, it's been a tough Tough year so far. My my dog recently passed away, Miles. He was uh, over 17 years old and my best friend, and that was really tough. He had a, a beautiful, wonderful last day. Um, and, you know, as far as losing a pet, it, was, it went as well as it could have gone, and I will cherish his memory forever. And then we thought we might have had this diagnosis, and then to not have it, I'm like back at square one again. Um, and I actually tried to get in with a geneticist months ago, and they rejected my application to be seen. So now I have to do this whole thing again and try to be seen by doctors that wouldn't see me in the first place. And it just, oh, it sucks. <laughs> I just hate it. I wish it was over. But I don't have I don't have control over that. I just have to keep pushing and pushing and hopefully find a diagnosis. So you will hear me talk about Wilson's disease for several episodes to come because I did get really ahead of the game as far as, you know, recording episodes. Um, but unfortunately, I don't have that disease. So I just want to let you know. Speaking of getting ahead in recording episodes, um, I, you know, I'm kind of experimenting with coming back to podcasting and seeing if I can be on a weekly schedule just because my health is so unpredictable, but I think I can do it. I've been doing really well um, getting work done ahead of time. I'm still really ahead of the game. So I'm finally feeling confident enough to say that this podcast will come out weekly. I'm releasing it very late on Tuesday evening so that it will be up for you on Wednesdays. That's my goal is to have a fresh episode for you when you wake up on Wednesdays. And I think that I'm ready to commit to that because I've been able to do it so far. Um, this is episode eight. I did drop three episodes at once on the first week, but I've been able to hit this goal post for myself of getting an episode out once a week. And it's actually been really good for me to put a little bit of structure back into my life because, you know, I'm still not able to work because of my unpredictable health situation and making work for myself has felt really good. So, you know, approaching this podcast as if it were a job that I am responsible for has felt really good for me. And because of that, I, I'm at the point where I feel comfortable enough putting it out there that I actually need some help financially to keep this podcast going. So I am starting a Patreon campaign. If you're unfamiliar with Patreon, it is a website that allows creators like myself to offer monthly donation subscriptions to whatever project it is that they're working on. I don't want anyone to feel obligated to pay money to listen to this show ever. This show will always be free for as long as it exists. But if you have resources and are able comfortably to help support the production of this show, it would be extremely meaningful to me. I'm in the midst of the long process of trying to get some disability income coming in, but because I don't have a diagnosis, that has not happened yet and will probably not happen for months, if not even years. <laughs> it's a really rough process, and I'm 
you know, I'm expecting to be denied the first time and possibly even have to get a lawyer to make disability ever happen for myself. And until then, I'm basically living off of, you know, family and friend support and also a little bit of income that I make from content creation from my other projects. So I feel like it's at least worth trying to put out into the universe and say, hey, if you enjoy this podcast, if this is bringing value to your life, if you'd like to help support it, I need your support and I need your help to keep it going long term. For most creators that start a Patreon campaign, they add in bonus perks, extra content, uh, patron-only podcast or something like that. And I've given this a lot of thought, and I just don't think I have enough energy to do that. I don't think that I can offer that, unfortunately. I'd love to be able to have a patron-only podcast, but I, but in order to do that, I would have to hire other people to help me produce this podcast. And like we've just talked about, I have no income. So at this point, that's just not feasible. Maybe someday in the future, if the Patreon reaches a point where I could pay someone to help me with the editing or the production of the show in some way. But for now, I can't offer that. The only thing I can offer is recognition for the people who are helping to support the show. So there are three tiers that I've set up on Patreon. A supporter tier at $2 a month, a patron tier at $7 per month, and a producer tier at $25 per month. Based on the tier that you sign up at, you will get different recognition on the show. Everyone will receive a one-time thank you as soon as they sign up on the very next episode of Major Pain. The middle tier and the top tier will also receive end credits recognition. So I'm going to pre-record a message that will roll after the end of the show that will list all of our middle and top tier Patreon supporters. And if you're at the top tier, the producer level, you will be listed as a producer of Major Pain in every episode. I will personally thank you in every episode of the show. I really want to build something here. I want to have community. I want people to feel seen and heard. And there's just so much that I want to do with this show. And I just want it to go for as long as possible. I want to collect as many different rare or undiagnosed diseases and experiences as I can. And I want people to be able to have a place to go once a week to feel like they aren't alone. And in order to do that long-term, I really have to be generating some income from this. My immediate goal is just to offset the costs associated with producing a podcast, you know, web hosting, and and there's a few apps that I use that uh, have a monthly cost associated. Those fees are minimal. So if I can get up to like 30 bucks a month, that'll be covering that. My next goal after that is that Like I said, I have no income and it's a real concern. (laughs) So I'm looking to find a way that I can contribute something of value to society that can help pay for my basic needs as far as, you know, food and rent. Um, If I ever got beyond that, I would look to hire some people to help me to produce the show. I'd love to hire a writer that can listen to each episode and and do the write-ups. And actually, Andy's been helping me with that uh, because that's something that, depending on the day, I either is, it's really easy for me, it's extremely difficult, depending on how my brain is doing on any given day. So being able to hire a professional writer to do that um, would be really wonderful, or even to pay someone who's helping me like Andy, that would be great. Uh, and then beyond that, I mean, my ve- stretch, stretch, stretch goals, if this were to like take off in a massive way, and I was able to meet all of my uh, needs as a human, and had some income beyond that, it's a dream of mine to start some sort of organization or nonprofit or something that could help people with undiagnosed disease to find answers or at least find some sort of treatment that can help. 
Um, I don't know what the logistics of that would be. I'm years away from that even being a possibility, but that's just kind of my dream. That's something I've been talking about to Andy for a couple of years now. Um, and I think that actually came up in this conversation with Maya uh, because she has similar goals as far as um, helping the, the community that we are a part of as being people with disabilities or people who are chronically ill. So that's sort of my pie-in-the-sky dream as far as where I would hope the Patreon could get someday would be to not just help support me, but support other people in this community. And I have no idea how that would work. I'm just putting it out there because I think it would be amazing if that could ever happen. So if you're interested in supporting this show financially, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast. And I'll also put a link in the description of this episode and all episodes moving forward. I've been getting some really great interaction and feedback on our social media at Instagram and on TikTok, both at Major Pain Podcast. TikTok has been really interesting because I'm not just promoting the show there. I'm also talking about my, my experiences with my health and my life with my health and answering questions and stuff like that. It's been really, really fun. And I actually posted up a video during a bad flare-up I was having a couple days ago where I was having, you know, that sort of swaying back and forth uncontrollable muscle spasms that I deal with a lot. So if you want to get to know me a little bit better, ask me any questions directly, see what I'm going through, check out the TikTok at Major Pain Podcast. And the last thing I want to share with you before we jump into our conversation with Maya is that I just got an email this week that the Major Pain Podcast has cracked the top 100 health and fitness podcasts in Saudi Arabia on Apple Podcasts. So whoever it is that's listening in Saudi Arabia, thank you so much. You have cracked us in the top 100. I've never had a podcast do that before in any list in Apple Podcasts, so that's very exciting. Um, but I'd love to see that happen in more places, including the country that I am in, so here in the United States. So if you are listening to this show and you hadn't, haven't yet left a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts, that is the number one way to help the show reach other listeners on what is still the biggest podcast platform that I know of. Um, so I always very much appreciate any new positive ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to our show. I believe I thanked Rosie Dell for their new um, podcast review last week, but I actually want to read this one to you because this, this really stuck in my brain and I just wanted to share this. So this is a, a five-star review from Rosie Dell on Apple Podcasts. You are not alone. Jesse, I enjoyed your story and hope you find answers for your pain. I am 62 and in pain since I was 12 years old. I have been able to live life and have supportive family and kids, but it has been super hard. I look forward to continue listening. Be brave. And you know, I'll talk to Maya in this episode to come about how I've been on my diagnostic journey for over 10 years. But here's someone who's been in pain since they were 12 years old and they're now 62, still with a positive outlook on the beautiful things that have happened in their life, the support of family and kids. And, you know, that just gave me a sense of perspective as I'm searching for my diagnosis. I had hoped that I might actually be able to be out of pain soon. I'd started to think about that. Um, it's like, what if I get this diagnosis? And now that that's not happening, I'm kind of lifting this burden back up onto my shoulders. I'm very used to it. I have a lot of mechanisms in place to help me do that. And some people just do that their whole lives. Um, and I just want to say, you know, if you're doing that, I see you and it is hard and you're, you're doing great. Keep it up. <laughs> okay, well, let's get into our conversation with Maya about her undiagnosed illness. I'm a roll with it on TikTok, a very inspiring person. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Let's get into it. Maya, welcome to the podcast. 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. Yeah, this is a real treat for me. <laughs> so I'm I'm one of your TikTok followers. That's how we connected. And I've heard you talk so much about disability and ableism and just be a really amazing, positive voice and spokesperson for people living with any sort of challenge. So this is a real treat to be able to talk to you today. Awesome. Honestly, I, I started going on TikTok for personal reasons. I wanted to do a fundraiser for a service dog. And I began learning that people just, there's, there's such a gap in public knowledge about disability. Mm-hmm. I am not paralyzed. And everyone was like, oh my God, you moved your legs. And I was like, oh, hey, not all wheelchair users are paralyzed. And yeah. people were like, wow, I didn't know that. So then I was like, let me start doing more awareness and talking about more things that people don't really know. And it's just, it's blown up into what it currently is now. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I mentioned this to you in a message before we recorded, but I, uh, when I first found your TikTok, I was in the process of trying to get my first wheelchair and like I walk around the house, um, but I can't walk very far. So I started using a wheelchair whenever I want to go outside and travel any distance and yeah, I'm one of those people who is not paralyzed, but uses a wheelchair as a tool to help me do more than I could do before. And it's really opened up my my whole world as far as like, I can now go outside and get some sun and just like roll myself there, you know, instead of being stuck on the couch on the days where my legs aren't working very well. So, um, seeing your positivity around it and um, yeah, just like your sense of life and vitality and joy inside of your situation has really been inspiring and really helped me to make that transition, which can be tough. You know, um, there's like, there's a lot involved in being seen in a wheelchair that, you know, it's hard to internalize, I think. For me, the way that I look at it, my mobility aids or anybody's mobility aid is just an extension that helps them access more freedom and a higher quality life. And people... I feel like there's an idea that you have to be a certain level of disabled to actually use something or be valid in using something. Mm -hmm. But if it improves your life, if it makes your life better or easier or less painful, you deserve that. All human beings should have the highest quality of life they can have. And if a wheelchair does that for you, you should have a wheelchair. Absolutely. Well said. So Maya, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I'm currently a biology student. I have one semester left before graduation. Just got to stick <laughs> it out. Um, oh, goodness. What to say? <laughs> um, I guess some of my favorite hobbies like for my free time is just like doing abstract painting because mm. if you it's abstract. You can't mess up. So there's no way to stress about it. There's no mistakes. Yeah. Um, I love spending time outside. Like you said, going yeah. outside and just being in sunshine. I have, I have an obsession with sunshine. I love the sky and I don't think people understand what I mean when I say that I love the sky. Like I, <laughs> it's next level for me. Um, I know I play video games. Oh, what do you play? I play Call of Duty. That's my main thing. Really? Call of Duty and super hot. Yes. I'm actually, I'm trying to start streaming on Twitch but I need to get a webcam still. I need to figure that out. I uh, streamed on YouTube and Twitch for years. I still technically still kind of do it. I just haven't been able to in a while. I play uh, Mario Maker for the most part. Um, So like people build levels in Mario and send them to me and then I try to beat them live. It's very fun. That's so cool. Yeah. If you need any help getting set up on Twitch, let me know. I'm I've learned a lot. It's it's hard to start, 
let me just say it's like getting your computer working and all that stuff you know getting your stream overlays and it's it's a lot so let me know i'd love to pick your brain please (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so okay so maya let's let's get into this what is your major pain my major pain is everywhere in every single piece of my body every part of my body just constant pain um it's usually like a dull ache or like I'll get like these sharp stabbing pains and random muscles or like I'll get muscle spasms that are just like that's a visual um <laughs> I'll get <laughs> you know what that means that, those are the girl fingers <laughs> <laughs> the girl fingers yes um but the biggest, most major pain is my spine, my back. My back has been a problem since I was 13. I actually used to do gymnastics and I oh. hurt my back doing oh, wow. gymnastics. Um, but with all my other pains and disability things, my back pain is probably the worst of everything. Okay. And I, the, one of the reasons I want to talk to you is that your story reminded me of mine. You talked a little bit about how you have, you know, like this weird mystery illness that they don't know what it is. And like, you've had some neurological symptoms. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, if you don't mind, I'll just start with my story from the beginning. Sure. Yeah. Let's do it. So in October, 2019, I had a little bit of a sickness, like a cold headache, stuffy, whatever. I was not feeling great. And I was an irresponsible college student going to bed at 4am living off of potato chips and pop tarts. So the the fact that I was tired and weak and like not doing too great, it made sense, whatever. But the sickness went away and the tiredness and fatigue just, it, it kept getting worse. And I reached a point where I was getting late to my classes. And so I went to my doctor and I was like, Hey, like I can't get to classes on time. Like Ah, that's a thing. And they did some blood tests, um, whatever. Didn't really find anything. Okay. Fast forward a few weeks, I was walking back from one of my classes and I just completely collapsed. I was down on the ground, sitting on the pavement for about three hours. And every few minutes I'd be like, okay, I'm going to get up now. Okay. Not now, but I'm going to get up now. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't tell you how long I did that for, because I've had health issues off and on my whole life, like Mm. random aches and pains and things. And so I was like, this is whatever. This is no big deal. It's fine. But I went to the doctor and I was like, Hey, like this is becoming a bit more problematic. Like I can't go to my classes anymore. And so I did more blood tests and things and still no real answers. Um, And eventually it reached the point where I just, I couldn't go to my classes. I couldn't leave because I'd get stuck or just like collapse after walking for a little bit. So I ended up getting a hospital wheelchair. Not good. Those (laughs) things are awful, (laughs) but (laughs) I used that for a bit and just kept like going back to my primary saying like, Hey, like I can't walk. Like my body is not working. I was a healthy 19 year old. I went for a run two weeks ago and now I cannot walk. And it, it took a really long time for things to actually start moving and seeing specialists. Um, it, t- it was about three months before I saw my first legitimate specialist for neurology and rheumatology. And I've been seeing specialists off and on ever since trying to figure out what is going on as new symptoms appear. It's like, hey, like maybe this symptom will be the thing that puts all the puzzle pieces together. <laughs> I just relate uh, to this so much. Like, like I could be telling this story and it like all the details are the same as stuff that I've experienced is crazy. It saddens me that you've gone through this, but like, this is, this is a normal story. Like being mm-hmm. undiagnosed, having some mystery thing, unfortunately is not that uncommon. Yeah. And uh, 
Yeah. So, I mean, I want to know what your experience has been. How long have you been on this journey so far? Um, A little over a year and a half. So October 2019 to, what is it? April 2021. So almost two years. In a few months, two years. How often are you met? How often do you meet with pushback from doctors saying that they think that this is all in your head or that this is not a legitimate issue? that's never happened really goodness. wow i am so freaking lucky wow um the the one time that it was remotely close to this i was talking with my psychiatrist and like i love my psychiatrist we're good so he was like hey like do you think like could this be in your head like when it was all new he was just like genuinely asking like what do you think and i was like i mean i don't know whatever it is is what it is it's still even if it is all in my head like that's still something that is valid and needs to be addressed totally um yeah but that that was the the closest thing that came into that the the other things that are problematic um i saw a rheumatologist once to get a second opinion and they were doing a physical exam to like test my strength and motor skills and i know this exam because i've had it like over 20 <laughs> times so yeah. i know what they do they push down on your arms they push yep. against your arms yep, like yep. all those things and he got less than halfway through before he was like i think you have fibromyalgia uh-huh. and i was like oh okay well did you look at the rest of my chart and he admitted to not looking at my whole chart, to not looking at all of my scans. And he still chose to diagnose me with fibromyalgia, which is also kind of a diagnosis of exclusion. Like you're supposed to rule out every other thing before you get to fibromyalgia, but that was not. I've been diagnosed with fibromyalgia as well. And it's, it's a fascinating topic. I mean, I do believe that fibromyalgia is a real thing and is a specific disease that we don't quite understand yet. And there's some really interesting science and research happening around like the nervous system and um, what's going on with, as far as people who are experiencing pain when they shouldn't. And I think that someday we will understand fibromyalgia. I think a lot of the people that have been diagnosed with it do have it. But I think a lot of people that have been diagnosed with it don't have it, have something else that has not yet been discovered. Um, so mm-hmm. what, what sort of uh, potential diagnoses have you looked into? I mean, you've, I'm sure you've seen neurologists and I'm sure you've been tested for MS and... Um, I'd love to hear about that. So my doctors haven't really given me any specific lines where they're like, oh, like we think it's that or we think it's that. We've narrowed it down to either an autoimmune or a neurological disorder or (laughs) both. (laughs) 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 That's about as specific as it gets. Oh, this is fun for me because like literally I've heard all this stuff like so many times. I like I've been hearing that for a decade, over a decade now. It's like you might have. Oh yeah, I've uh, this a over a decade. It's been like eleven or twelve years um, that I've been doing this, and I actually like. I'll tell you right now, I'm being tested for Wilson's disease. Um, I just had some genetic testing done, and I'm waiting on the results. But I saw a specialist who's like, "You might have this." I'm like, "Oh my god, really?" <laughs> like really? <laughs> That's so funny. It's like people are like, "I'll be like, I might have this, or I might have that," and they're like oh my God, that's horrifying. And I'm like, no, 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 this is good. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> totally. Good. It's like the the last thing you want is to be told you don't have something. Um, yes. Yeah. Or and we don't know what's going on. Yeah, it's a weird switch that happens where like, you're just like, please just tell me whatever it is. I just need to know what it is so I can move on with my life. And as soon as it gets to a point where it's like, this might be real, it's like, oh my God, I might have that. <laughs> it was like a weird switch for a, for a moment. I was like terrified, but I'm still really excited. Like, please just please let me have Wilson's disease. You know, I'm fingers crossed, knock on wood. Um, yeah. So, so doctors have excluded a bunch of things, but they, 
they they still have these like two giant areas where you might be existing with the neurological or the autoimmune, which are huge, Not- huge like <laughs> circles to be inside of. Yeah, no, there's a lot of options. I'm not really sure what exactly it is that they ruled out. When I had my first brain MRI last year, um, they told me, oh, like, you don't have MS. And I was like, cool, okay, great. Like, I don't have MS. That's a scary disorder. And I don't have that. Cool. And then I went back for scans a few months ago or something. And they're like, well, you currently don't show any signs of MS. And I was like, wait, what do you mean? I thought I don't have it. I thought I can't have it. Like you're saying there's a chance I still might have it. Yeah. So, yeah, that one's tricky. I, so we're actually really lucky. We're going to be able to talk to someone who was diagnosed with MS in college on the podcast coming up real soon. My, my college girlfriend was uh, diagnosed with MS right after we started dating. Like she had been looking into it right before and diagnosed right after. And um, with MS, you will have uh, lesions in your brain. You can like see these lesions in your brain, but it's possible to not have them formed yet. It's possible to have MS and have symptoms and not have these lesions yet. Um, And I've been tested for MS. I've had at least four or five brain MRIs um, looking for these lesions and they just haven't found them. But that reminded me of something I wanted to say. You're talking about like, if something is all in your head, that still means it is valid and needs to be addressed. And that is so true. And I, I love the way that you phrase that because I have this chip on my shoulder because I've had so many doctors tell me, it's like, I don't think we can help you because this is all in your head. Um, so like, That's the worst <laughs> thing to do. If, you as a do. if someone comes to you with issues and you say, oh, that's all in your head. There's still issues. Right. The doctor needs to do something. Yeah. And like MS is like this, you know, very serious um, degenerative disease, but is literally in your brain. You know, it like lesions in your brain that is in your head, you know, like that is literally all in your head and it manifests in the rest of your body just the way a lot of, you know, neurological diseases do. Um, But to, to minimize someone because you haven't discovered the cause is so frustrating i'm so glad you haven't experienced that that actually astonishes me that you haven't experienced that <laughs> same actually honestly it's it's a it is shocking because everyone else has that as a part of their story um but one thing i want to say about ms real quick like in the idea of things being all in your head or not we couldn't scan for ms until mm. mris existed right. and so people with ms were considered like they, people didn't believe them like right. they're, they're like oh like it's all in your head like there's nothing that's physically wrong with you we just didn't know how to test for it yet and the same thing can go for fibromyalgia we just don't understand it yet absolutely and yeah i mean i've been told by several doctors they think i might have a new disease that has not been cataloged by medical science um yeah which is like well well (laughs) that's that's scary (laughs) yeah well you know this is something i want to ask you about like how do you live in the not knowing of it all like you have this thing you have some disease of some kind you don't know what it is um you're in a wheelchair and how do you live with the uncertainty of not knowing why you're needing this chair for the most part i don't think about it like when i first started experiencing issues like when i was collapsing on the ground i was like okay i'm gonna get up soon it's fine that was my my thoughts for the longest time i was like this is just some weird freak temporary thing i'm sorry it is snowing outside but there's snowing. sunshine weird and blue skies oh my goodness and you're on, i'm sorry you're on the east coast right yeah yeah east Crazy. coast new england wow 
Anyways, That's I'm sorry. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, but like when I, the first few months of my journey, it was just like, this is like one of my other weird freak health experiences. Like going into high school, I was swapping school districts, um, brand new classes, completely new people. My fingers swelled up and all of my fingernails fell off going what? into my freshman year of high school. Oh my God. Never figured out why. I, I have no idea why it happened, but wow. it happened. And like, that it happened a couple of other times, not all of my fingernails, fortunately, but like I've had weird health things. So this was yeah. just kind of like a severe, but another weird health thing. Um, it wasn't until last October, October, 2020, where I really started progressing a lot more. Like before I was ambulatory, like part-time I could use my forearm crutches. I could handle stairs. It was awful. And mm. I like, I, it was bad, but I could do a couple flights of stairs if necessary. Um, but now it's at, but in October, it reached a point where like, I couldn't really do stairs. I couldn't really walk without assistance from a person. Like I couldn't really trust my mobility aids. And I had a moment where I just, I couldn't make myself inhale. Um, it was just for a few seconds, but like, I just, I couldn't make myself inhale. Yeah. And that was terrifying yeah. because I don't know what's wrong with me. And I'd gone so long just being like, well, we'll figure it out eventually. Like, I'm seeing specialists. I'll be fine. Like I, I'm just weak, but like I have doctors that are doing, looking into things for me. Um, but then that happened and it just, it started to sink in a lot more. And lately I've been having more issues. Like I have issues with swallowing. I'll have food just like get stuck in my throat or come back up. And another weird thing that I have is I forcefully inhale. Like I'll just suck in air without intentionally doing it. Mm -hmm. And that will happen when I'm having my throat issues. So the choking hazard is extremely high for me. And when that started becoming more of a common issue, I was like, oh, wait, I might like choke and die by myself. Like that's, that's scary. And so as, as the symptoms get more severe and more pressing, it just, it does get scarier. And it's like, this might happen or that might happen. Like the other day I had a really strong, sharp stabbing pain, like going up and down my spine and it was awful. And I was like, I should make a bucket list. This might kill me. Like, I don't know. And it was just like an anxiety thought, like a jump to that thought. Like, I don't know if this is going to kill me, but like it could. And so I generally just don't think about that because yeah. my life is beautiful as it is. I have beautiful friends and I have amazing things that I can do each day. Like the sky, I can look at the sky every single day. And like, when I say, I love it, the sky is magical for me and just like being yeah. outside so I can enjoy my life and do beautiful things. And I just, I don't think about it unless I have to, I guess. Yeah. Like I do think about it in other circumstances, but it doesn't weigh on me unless it's like the lowest moments that I'm experiencing. Yeah, I totally relate to this. I think like, I think what you're saying, and let me know if I'm wrong, is that um, you you know what's happening to you. It's not like you're in denial. It's not like you're <laughs> pushing it away and not accepting it. What's happening is like, you know that if you if you start thinking down these like future tripping, what's going on, um, it can become like an anxiety spiral and it's not good. Like it's not helpful. And the it's best, not, no. yeah, the best way to deal with that is to be present is to like find things that make you happy in the day, in the moment and just live in the moment. And this is something that comes up so often on this show that that really, really helps. And that's totally like my strategy as well. Like the sky is beautiful. I love, I love going outside and just like being under the sun, you know, just like, you feel me. 
yeah <laughs> just i i try to do that and any day that the sun is out and like i live in seattle where you know we have a lot of um gloomy days but that makes the sun even more powerful when we get it finally so like i have this rooftop rooftop deck at this building i just moved to and any day that the sun is out i try to get up there and just soak it in for a little while because it just feels awesome you know like when your body's in pain all the time just having this like full body tingling outdoors feeling is really really good <laughs> i i never excuse me i never thought of it like that i get those i get like these weird spasm things i'm fine i don't know what they are but that's another yeah. thing i just me too shake. it's all I'm good getting tested for, <laughs> <laughs> i'm getting tested for seizures soon mm. hopefully it's not that but we shall see um but to like what you're talking about like how that's a reoccurring theme that commonly comes up on your podcast um pain is inevitable suffering is optional mm. and that's something that i started employing in my day-to-day life and thinking about every single day before becoming disabled i struggled a lot with mental health and things and i had a bit i had an ex- i had the opportunity to think a lot and reflect a lot and really get to know myself and understand myself and i realized like pain is inevitable it's going to happen mm. bad things are going to happen but no matter how bad things get there's still good in the world. There's always a million reasons to smile. And I say that all the time on my TikTok. I'm like, there's a million reasons to smile. But it's true. <laughs> like, there's a puppy being born right now. Puppies. <laughs> like, who doesn't love puppies? Yeah, yeah. You know, that. this is the type of wisdom that I think takes people a long time to develop. And I feel like you've reached it quickly. And do you think that your health challenges have contributed to that? Um, to like your outlook on life becoming more positive? Not my physical health challenges, my mental health challenges, mm. but like the, the bubbly positive personality where I appreciate all of the little things, like where I truly appreciate the little things in life that came from my mental health struggles. I struggle with depression pretty much my entire life and, um, trigger warning for anyone that's listening. If you're in a sensitive space, I have attempted suicide in the past. And my last attempt was the, when I was in the hospital, I had two weeks where I just reflected on everything. I was mindful about everything, every word I said, every move I made, I thought about it before I did it. And I had a roommate that told me to ask why for everything, whatever I was struggling with in life or the good things even as well. Why? So like, for example, I had relationship issues with my parents, what teenager doesn't. Um, (laughs) And I asked myself why, and I understood that, like all of our issues and got that understanding for myself, like why I couldn't connect with my parents. And then I was able to talk to them about it because I got it. And thank goodness they were willing to listen. Mm. Um, But a lot of time and effort went into realizing how to have healthier thought patterns Mm. and how to appreciate my life in a stronger, more fulfilling way. And that's just folded over into the disability aspect of life. Like when I have my depressive moments and I'm sad and stressed and anxious and upset, I have to work to make myself feel better. When I'm in bed in excruciating pain and I can't move and I just, I can't function, I got to do something to make myself feel better. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same, but a little bit different. <laughs> Absolutely. What, so what are the things that work for you in those moments of physical pain? What do you lean on to help you feel better? I use a lot of CBD. Um, I use this product 
That's a full spectrum RSO by Lazarus Naturals. They're wonderful. They ship all across the US. If you're disabled, low income or a veteran, they give you a major discount. So definitely Ooh, go check I'm them out. I'm checking this out for sure. <laughs> do it, do it, do it. Lazarus Naturals. Um, and that the, the oil that I take, um, I take it every three or four hours or so. And it is, it is liquid gold for me. It is mm. amazing. And if I'm having extreme high pain moment, I'll take a really high dose of that. I also am a med med card patient. I do use medicinal cannabis um, and a combination of that with the CBD is amazing, super strong. And then outside of those things, oh, also hot pads. I use lots of hot pads, Mm. but like mentally to help myself cope with the pain, I'll watch videos, I'll paint. If I'm able to get up and paint, um, I'll call a friend, just anything to get my mind engaged in something that is not my body. Yeah. Yeah, all totally. Yeah, get your mind into a positive space. You mentioned positive thought patterns. And I, I really wanted to highlight that because whatever you said about, you know, we are in control of our thought pattern. You said something along the lines of, you know, um, that your body might be in pain, you might be mentally in pain, but you still have a choice about how you react to that. And you have a choice about how you internalize what's happening. And this can take a lifetime, but you are, you do have control that you can exert over your own mind and your thought patterns. And if you, mm-hmm. like, if you find yourself running into a negative thought consistently, finding like a thought blocking mechanism, um, you know, some way to tell yourself, I don't need to go down that thought pattern and reroute into like a no- more positive space, your brain picks up on these patterns eventually and you can sort of, it becomes easier. You know, you can build new pathways mm-hmm. in your brain that are healthier thought patterns. And Definitely. Yeah. And for anyone listening, I just want to say, like, you kind of, you know, with chronic health conditions, that becomes sort of a necessity, but it's really, really, really helpful. And I know it's <laughs> like, I, I kind of riled against it at first. I'm like, I shouldn't have to change. I want my life back, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the sooner I let go of that thinking, the happier I was. Um, when I just kind of accepted what was happening is, okay, this is where I'm at now. And it doesn't matter, matter where I was before. This is where I am now. What do I do to make this the most comfortable thing possible? And that has helped me tremendously. There's this, I'm not religious, but there's the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I mm. came to my own realization of that I, like when I was in the hospital and thinking about all the different things, I recognize the fact that I am my own matrix. Like all the things that make up me, that's my matrix. And I can only change my matrix. Other things can impact me and I can have an impact on other matrices to an extent. Like the universe is a matrix and every single thing in it has its own matrix, but we're all interacting and interconnected, Hmm. but I only have control over mine. Mm -hmm. I can only accept what happens to me and I can only choose what I do moving forward. Yeah. Totally. That's awesome. Um, so, you've referred to yourself as disabled. When did you start using that terminology? I'm curious about this because I don't, I haven't made that jump. You know, I've applied for disability, but I haven't gotten it because I don't have a diagnosis. I'm still like in this process. Um, I just started using a wheelchair, but I'm, you know, if friends come to hang out at my house, we'll be sitting on the couch. I'm going to get up and walk to the you know, the bathroom or the kitchen or something like I'm gen I'm not really using the wheelchair in the house right now because I live in a really small studio, which is very helpful. I know you mentioned this on one of your TikToks that you do the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've just been thinking about 
this terminology recently because like if i get on disability if i get a disability placard does that and and i have this like physical disability am i disabled you know like i don't know how to <laughs> i don't know how to process that term in relationship to myself and i'd be curious to hear if you've thought about this at all it took me a while to actually say that i was disabled i don't remember when that happened or what the change was but i do specifically remember like using my wheelchair and going around my college campus and not feeling disabled um but like a temporary disability like if you break your leg like you yeah. have a temporary disability i'm sorry you're gonna have to edit this out but <laughs> this guy was this guy was walking with his chihuahua and then it just lied down in the grass and it was just like nope <laughs> and he had to pick it up and it was the cutest thing oh my goodness i'm sorry that, uh, um for, for the podcast you one of the things you asked me what do i do to make myself feel better um there's a park across the street from my apartment and people take their dogs there all the time i have an obsession with dogs and yeah. so i i watch the dogs through the window yeah, I, I forget what we were talking about before I got distracted, <laughs> though. <laughs> so I, when I first started using my wheelchair, I didn't consider myself disabled. It was just a temporary disability or a temporary thing. Yeah. And like I was saying, um, if someone breaks their leg, they're temporarily disabled. Like the leg will hopefully get better and heal, and they'll be able-bodied again and not have to worry about it. But like you are still disabled in that moment. I I would say. Um, Obviously, it's up to that individual if they want to identify with that term or not. Yeah, but I feel like I feel like part of the issue with ableism and like how ableism exists in our society is that people expect disability to be a certain kind of way. Like you have mm. to be, you have to be mobile. Sorry, you have to have enough physical challenges or have enough restrictions on your mobility to finally be considered disabled. And that's, that's, I feel like that's a horrible way of thinking. Like a lot of chronically ill people have conditions that are disabling. Like they're, they're so chronically ill that they can't work. They can't do the things that they need to do to function, but it's technically not a disability. Like if you look at insurance companies, certain mm -hmm. things aren't actually disabilities, but they're still disabling in your day-to-day -day life. So I don't know. <laughs> I, knowing when to identify as being disabled is hard and i feel like if it's something that makes sense for an individual if they feel disabled like if they can't do things and they have a condition that's disabling them then you're disabled like it's yeah yeah I there's, feel like there, sorry, there's the ahead. idea that like it has <laughs> there's the idea that disability has to be a certain way like you, like people will tell me i don't look disabled or you're too young to be disabled those are common things but that's because people think disability has to be a certain way and yeah. it doesn't, it looks different in everybody. Absolutely. I think there's also a lot of internalized ableism. I mean, for mm -hmm. me, you know, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't like the idea of thinking about myself as disabled, but I haven't been able to work in four and a half years because of my health condition. It's like, if I knew what it was and I knew that it was like a federally recognized disability, then I wouldn't have imposter syndrome about calling myself disabled. <laughs> that, that is a big struggle. I think I definitely felt that for a long time too, like being like, well, like no one actually knows what's wrong with me. So like there can't be anything wrong with me. And that's such a horrible way of thinking. And I think that again, goes back to some of the more systemic issues in our society. Like if you don't have a diagnosis, your insurance company won't cover things. If you don't have a diagnosis, you can't get approved for SSI, right. but like, there are people who don't have diagnoses that do have actual things wrong with them that need help that are disabled and suffering. 
but because there isn't a term or a label for it, it's like, well, we're just going to leave you dry. We're not going to yeah. give you anything. No supports. Yeah, ex- that's exactly how it works. And it's so it's so dumb because you like you have to go through jump through a lot of hoops to prove that you have a disability. And like I've been through this mm-hmm. with my old insurance company, my old job. I had short-term disability at work and then I lost that when I was diagnosed with Lyme disease. It we do think it was a misdiagnosis now, but at the time it's the best that we had and my insurance company disagreed with it and denied any future um, <laughs> the faces you just made. I wish the podcast could see those. Um, they denied me uh, long-term disability because they disagreed with the diagnosis, even though I had a doctor saying he has Lyme disease. And it's funny looking back on that now because we now think I didn't have Lyme disease. We had like a false positive test. Um, and we now think that it was literally a false positive, uh, where at the time we're like, oh, does this mean I actually have it? But it looks like it didn't. Um, and then now applying for like, you know, federal disability without having a diagnosis. I know I'm going to get denied. I'm just going through the process because I know that um, you usually have to apply two or three times to get it. So, -hmm. the burden of proof is like, it's on the individual and the individual needs a doctor to prove it because you have to have like a doctor's note saying you have this and that qualifies you for disability. But doctors don't know everything and like every human body is different. And if a doctor can't Mm -hmm. figure yours out, you are screwed, you know, like you just Mm -hmm. can't get disability. And that's so unfair. Like, why can't a physical examination be enough? Or why can't, you know, like, if you met with a social worker and they saw your life, like, or my life, like we we have wheelchairs, we can't walk around without them um, for long distances for me. and, And I'm not sure how much time you spend in yours versus if you're doing any walking at all these days, which I am curious to ask. But it's like, why can't we just look at that and see the reality of the situation and 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 help those people? But that's not how it works at all. This, I, I a couple of days ago, I did a post about disability and accessing disability. Um, like over seventy percent of the people who apply the first time don't get it the first time. Over forty yeah. percent of the people who apply just never get it. Over forty percent of the adults who live in shelters are disabled people Mm -hmm. like accessing disability is so hard. And I was flooded. It broke my heart. I was just flooded with comments of people telling me their personal experiences with how the system is broken. Like there was one person who said their son had cancer for years and he got approved for disability two weeks before he died. Wow. Like there, there are so many people with stories like that, just in my comment section. And there's hundreds of thousands of more out there and it's heartbreaking. And the government just isn't doing enough. It's hard to access those resources and do things, even with a diagnosis. It's even harder without a diagnosis. Without a diagnosis, you can't get the government support. You can't get your insurance support. There's really nothing out there for the undiagnosed. And over 6 million Americans go undiagnosed a year. Um, And I see that issue and I want to do something about it. I'm currently working on designing a website to make a database for all of the different resources that I found mm. that have helped me yeah. with mid- helping my disability. Cause like when I first started using a wheelchair or bef- no, before I even started using a wheelchair, I told my doctor, I need help. I can't function. I can't get to my classes. And she was like, what do you want to do? She <laughs> asked me and I was like, bro, what the heck? <laughs> I like, I, what? And so like, fortunately there was a van service on my campus that could drive me to my classes. And so I was able to finally get access to that. So I could go to class before I started using a wheelchair, but then it's like, how do I get a wheelchair? 
my parents helped me rent one from a local supply shop, but then like that wheelchair was just really poor quality. I mm. could not use it, could not push it. It was too heavy, hard to use. So like the quality wheelchairs, like that are active day wheelchairs. How do you get that if your insurance company won't cover it? Yeah. There are programs, they exist out there. And like my home health aid program, my doctor didn't tell me about that. A friend told me about that. Hmm. And so these programs exist to help people with the diagnosis, without a diagnosis. And I want to put all of it together in one simple, easy spot where people can be like, I need to get a walker and just whew, all the resources that you need and like have yeah. it organized by state. So that way it's easier for people to find things in their state. And then I also eventually want to build this into a nonprofit for the undiagnosed because mm. there's organizations for spinal cord injuries. There's organizations for multiple sclerosis or cancer. And that's beautiful because people with those diagnoses probably aren't getting enough support and help from their insurance companies and through the medical care system. And so we need these other programs in place to help support those people. And if you're undiagnosed, you don't have MS. If you're undiagnosed, you don't have cancer. Yeah. You can't get help from those foundations. So I, I love I love everything you're saying. I've actually had long discussions with my girlfriend Andy about starting a nonprofit for undiagnosed people. Like if I were ever to be like a successful content creator and had resources, that's what I'd want to do with them. Um, Can we team up? Let's team please? up. Let's like, <laughs> yeah. The, yes. Disabled yes, team yes, up. Yes, high yes, five. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I feel like our goals are so similar and like, we're both using content creation platforms to try to ease the burden for other people experiencing similar things. It's so exhausting and so draining. Like I spent months looking into a bunch of different resources and trying to access things like yeah. looking into programs that donate medical equipment, like going to my local thrift stores and seeing if there are any medical equipment things there. And it, it just, it took so long to get all the information that I know. And I'm so lucky and privileged in the fact that I was able to put in that time and effort to research. Cause like I have days or moments or times where I can't do anything for days. And there are people out there where that's every single day and they mm -hmm. don't have the ability to do that research for themselves. And it's just like, we yeah. shouldn't have to do that. But since we do, I could at least make it a little bit easier. Yeah. We're all, yeah. I mean, I, this is so, this is such a problem. It's like, you have to be your own advocate, but you can't get off the couch mm -hmm. and think straight because you're having neurological problems. So then what? Then you do nothing. Mm -hmm. Then you watch the entirety of the CW Arrowverse. <laughs> I'm caught up. Um, yeah, because like you literally just like you want to do stuff, but you can't. Like I, you know, you want to. It's hard to explain what this feels like, but like the idea of that like, you can't read because you can't piece the words together because your brain isn't functioning correctly. Um, when that first started happening for me. I was like in the middle of college still. I wanted to go to medical school. I no longer want to go to medical school because of my disability. But I remember like the first time that like I couldn't read a sentence, like I was like, wait, like I'm, I was the fastest reader in school growing up in elementary school. Not that that matters, but like reading was just like something I'd always done and always loved and enjoyed. I was the bookworm. And then I couldn't read a sentence. Like I could see each word. Mm -hmm. I could read each word but the words were not connecting. They didn't mean anything. It didn't make any sense. And I remember like I called my mom that night at like 10 PM, even though it was past her bedtime. And I was like, I can't read. Like I am, I am a sophomore in college and I can't read. Yeah. I can sometimes now, like I, it, it comes mm -hmm. and goes the brain fog. Yeah. Me so too. That's nice. me too. <laughs> yeah. I guess brain fog is what I'd call it. Um, 
Yeah, like this morning I read a little bit. I read like a couple chapters until my my brain started to hurt and then I stopped. I'm reading this sci-fi novel right now. Um, and like some days I can read for hours. And then other days I, I like start reading and I'm not comprehending a word. Like I, nothing is going into my brain. I have no idea what's happening. And I can focus and I can try as hard as I can, but I just can't piece it together. And it kind of causes physical pain. So I just stop. And that, that's when I play Stardew Valley. It causes you physical pain too. I <laughs> yeah. thought that I was just being a little bit crazy and like overly sensitive, like overreacting to like, I thought that I was just so upset about struggling to read that like it was physically bothering me somehow, but you feel it too. Absolutely. There are days where certain thoughts cause physical pain, where like thinking about um, like trying to plan for what I'm doing on Friday, I can't. It's so weird. Like some days like, oh great. Well, yeah, we'll do this. I'll put it on my calendar. No problem. And then my, this drives my girlfriend crazy because she's like, can we do this thing on the 12th? I'm like, the 12th? What is a 12th? Like, I can't, I just like, some days I just can't do it. You know, I can't think forward and it hurts. It's like trying to think forward is painful. Thinking like backwards can be painful sometimes, but generally thinking present doesn't hurt. It's like that being in the moment thing. I think that it's like easier on the brain to not have to like project forwards or backwards and like time travel but just to be present seems to like ease those symptoms for me for some reason, but only on certain days. Some days it's not a problem at all. Well, disability, another thing that people just don't understand, disability is dynamic. A disabled person might be able to do X, Y, or Z on this day, but then they won't be able to another day and they might be able to again down the line or they might not. It varies. But um, one of my neurologists, not neurologists, I don't know, one of my doctors that I was working (laughs) with explained to me that like when you have neurological fatigue, like using your brain and thinking with your brain drains you and exhausts your body similar to like physical work. Mm. Like it just, it saps you so quickly. It takes a lot longer to get back. So maybe like the idea of conceptualizing things in the future and like understanding the idea of the future, maybe that takes a lot more brain power or like different types of thoughts that is just too much for neuro fatigue. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know though. Just, yeah, just we, none of us know. That's the problem. And it's so frustrating because like I used to, you know, be a leasing agent. I used to be able to hold all of my like future tenants information in my head at once. It's like all these people are going to move in over the next couple months. I just got really good at that and was very comfortable with it. And I can't do that anymore, you know? And that's something that I always felt like was something I did well. And I, you know, I just don't, I just can't stop and think about it. I just got to pull my brain back back into the present and focus on what I do have and do the best with that. This has actually been a really helpful conversation for me in hearing you say these things because I've been struggling a lot more with my academics and being able to think and focus and mm. concentrate on the stuff that I had to do. And I hadn't, I, I'd been, I, I was, my internalized ableism was making me think like, you're being lazy, you're not trying hard enough you're not doing these things and like definitely in some aspects like i could put in a bit more effort here and there but overall like i'm i I need to acknowledge the fact that like it is actually hard for a reason like it's like it is it is my brain with my fire with my neuro fog or brain fog there we go with my brain fog it's a lot harder to do things and that goes for academics as well i can't be the student that i used to be yeah and that's okay, you know? Like, what you're going to do with your life, what you're already doing with your life is really helpful, you know? Like, you are already I making wouldn't. a positive impact on the world. Whether or not you do well in school is not going to affect that. 
Like you've already amassed this huge following on TikTok. You're already doing so much good for so many people with disabilities. You know, not being the perfect student is a thing that is okay. You know, (laughs) (laughs) definitely, definitely. Like I, I was talking to someone last night. Um, None of this would have happened if I didn't become disabled. Like I wouldn't have been inspired to start a nonprofit for undiagnosed individuals. If I weren't disabled, I wouldn't have made, I wouldn't be making this website. I haven't published it yet eventually, but I would be making this website if it weren't for my disability. Yeah. And like, we're all doing this work separately and alone. Why don't we pool our resources? Like this is what the internet should be used for. What? So when you build this website, do you have a domain name picked out? Yes. So I've been doing everything under I'm a roll with it. Cause yeah, that's that's the name on TikTok. Yeah. Um, so the website I have, I bought the Google domain for I'm a roll with it dot com. Um, oh, nice. And that's perfect. <laughs> thank you. Um, I right now I have a few different sections laid out. The first page that I've been working on is like, so you want to roll with it or like roll with me. This is for people who need to get mobility aids, who need to learn how do you do that. Like it's your first time getting a chair. Like what do you think about? What do you consider? Where do you go? Because yeah. I, I, I am getting a custom chair made. I was originally going to get a manual chair and I spent over a year in a manual chair. So I know exactly what I like, all the specifics to make mm. it most comfortable, easy to use, done a bunch of research into it. So I know all the specifics, but I've progressed to the point where I might need to get a power chair instead. Mm-hmm. And I spent months, literal months researching for my other chair and I know nothing about power chairs. Yeah. So I'm putting all of those things like, what to think about when you're getting a manual chair on the website right now. So that way I have a platform or not platform, a template to do that for power chairs. And as I research power chairs, I'm going to add that information in. And it's, there is so much less information on power chairs than manual chairs. Like I can't find anything. I am struggling. (laughs) Yeah. That's legit though. Like, so I just got my first chair and I got it through insurance, which took about six months um, to to -hmm. get a chair at all. And I, so I live in Washington State. And we have something called Apple Health, which is an amazing program. It is um, free insurance for low-income people. So, like, I don't have income because I'm not working, um, so I qualify. And it covers 100% of your medical expenses and co-pays. It's not accepted everywhere, which, is, which can be problematic. But um, right now, I'm going to University of Washington for all my health care, and they accept Apple, Apple Health 100%. And it's just been amazing. So I actually didn't have to pay anything for this wheelchair. Um, but I got like a starter chair, you know? <laughs> like it's, it's a manual chair. It has like no bells and whistles at all. Um, it's really hard to move in. And it like takes a lot of physical power to move around. The first time I got in, I was, I was shocked. I was like, this is hard. You know, I'm like, is, is this normal? <laughs> So, Can so I ask, what, what, you, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Do you know what the type of chair is that you have? Like the style, the make, the model? I know like nothing. That? I know nothing. I gave, they just like handed me a wheelchair. He's like, this is how you put the feet on it. And then that's it. Like literally told me nothing else. So I was going to ask you like, what do, what do new chair users need to know? Like what are the, the basics of the options of wheelchairs? So there is your classic, like cheap, 200 to 500 hundred dollar wheelchair that is like the folding chair you probably have seen it in a hospital or yeah. like use it for a grandparent or something like that low quality chair not very comfortable super heavy 
no adjustability, just fabric, seat slings, whatever. Um, I, I'm, I'm imagining that might be what you currently have. Well, um, I can tell you that I looked at the insurance invoice and the charge that I didn't pay for was $68. So it's a $68 wheelchair. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It, it must, no, I think those... that's because it's like through the state or something, but I, yeah. That, that chair, that was the first type of chair that I had. It is awful. They're extremely heavy. They're not designed for active long-term use. Yeah. Um, there, so with the chairs that are actually good for long-term active everyday use, um, there's lightweight chairs, which are usually made of aluminum and then ultra lightweight ones that are like titanium or felt that one coming on. I was able to stop halfway through the sentence. Yeah. Um, I, I'm very familiar with those for, for the podcast listeners. Um, do you mind if I explain what just happened or would you like to explain? <laughs> It's just like a weird muscle spasm thing. My boyfriend and I call it the shaky shakies. Yeah. <laughs> Might be seizures. We don't know. Yeah. I have something similar. Sometimes my, uh, I lose control of my hips and my girlfriend and I play a game called twerk or twitch <laughs> where she has to guess if I'm twerking or twitching because it looks like I'm twerking. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's lovely. That's better than my, my thing where I, I don't, I don't even know how to describe what it looks like, what I'm doing. I haven't seen it. I know what it feels like. I know what I'm doing, but yeah, I haven't seen it. I do that. What you just did. So like, it's like your, your like chest kind of locks up and then you like shake. You can't like whatever you're saying kind of gets stuck and like you mm. just like shake a little bit after and you can't get the words out. Um, I'm very familiar with that. <laughs> <laughs> but where were we? What, what, what was I saying? Wheelchairs. Um, oh yeah. Whenever it happens to right. me, I completely lose my train of thought. It's like, it's like a wave washes over my head and like whatever was in there is gone. It takes a hot second. I'm just like, where am I? What's yeah, going on? Totally. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so hospital chairs, what you have lightweight, usually aluminum, ultra lightweight, titanium. Um, those ones are in the name lightweight, which makes them so much easier to use, especially if you're weaker like me. Um, and with those chairs, they have a lot more adjustability and specifications that you can make. They usually come with a nice seat cushion and you can get different types of seat cushions that are just foam or air pockets. Um, that just depends on your comfort and your needs. Um, but if you can get your hands on one of those chairs, the most important things to think about if you can adjust those features on your chairs are like the angle of your backrest, like how far back do you want to be leaning or do you want to be sitting upright? What's most comfortable for your body? Mm -hmm. um, you can change the, it's called the dump of your chair. That's the difference between the height of your knees and the back of your chair. And you change that by adjusting your axle, by moving your axle up or down to get your backside of your chair to go up or down. So the lower the backside of your chair is compared to your knees, the more support you have for your core. Cause like, physics i don't know yeah. um like the higher your chair is the less support you have so if you're mm. like me and you have poor core stability a larger dump in your chair is more beneficial sounds ridiculous um <laughs> other things to consider like stop thinking about dumps like a truck but we'll just move on <laughs> <laughs> um so other things to consider like with your push rims on your wheels if you can get if they're just like aluminum like i don't know if you can hear that yeah these ones are aluminum on my other chair. I have ones that have Q grip coating on them. Like they're dipped in some vinyl plasticky thing that makes it a lot easier to grab. Mm. If you can't get new wheels, which is 
hard to do. Um, you can get coatings online. Like you could just buy like rubber things to put on top of your wheel, or you can get workout gloves that have like plasticky padding things in the gloves that help with pushing. And that just makes getting around a lot easier. Like if you have more grip, then you have to put less strength into gripping and you can put more strength into pushing. And that's part of why hospital chairs are so bad. They were not designed for use. So a lot of your strength that goes into pushing just gets lost in the chair wobbling and flexing. Right. They're meant for someone to push you around, not for you to like power yourself. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For, for the nicer chairs, like they're a lot more rigid and stiff. Like even my folding chair, it flexes a bit when I go over uneven ground compared to my rigid chair that doesn't have a folding frame. Um, but it's just so much steadier and your energy just goes a lot. I don't know. It's just, it's a lot better. Um, another thing like with the new wheelchair user, if you have a choice of your chair, having it fit as closely to your body as possible. Mm -hmm. Like if you have a smaller chair, then you have a smaller turning radius. You can fit through more spaces, which is convenient. It's also lighter and easier to move around, which is convenient. Um, our bodies weren't designed to use wheelchairs and it's bad for your shoulders to push yourself. It puts a lot of wear and tear on your shoulders. So if your wheels are too far out, that's worse for your shoulders. Mm-hmm. You want your wheels nice and close to your body. Yeah. Yeah. This is all great information. I'm struggling There's with, so many with things. doors. Like getting through Door, doors okay. is hard. I have a little hack for you. So if you are, if you come up to a door and you have to pull the door towards you okay. to open it and get out, I can't do this anymore, unfortunately. But if you have the strength and core stability, you put your chair up against the wall to the side of the door. So that way, you're, if your chair rolls forward, like you're just rolling into the wall. So like your chair can't move anymore. And then pull the door open. And okay. like I usually push off the wall to like like hold yeah. the door and push off the wall to turn myself and then get through the door that way. Gotcha. What if, you're, what if you have to open a door that goes away from you? The push door, I would just ram it with my chair if i can't push it open with my hands <laughs> yeah i've been like grabbing the door frame and pulling myself through and like using the chair to push against the door that seems to be better than trying to like shove the door open and then like wheel myself it's like no just hold the door open grab the door frame and pull that seems to yeah. be helpful if the door is light enough i can sometimes like use pushing on the door and just pushing like if i'm pushing on the door with my right hand i can push on my wheel with my left hand and like if you only push your left wheel you're obviously going to turn but i use the door and to help like keep me going straight yeah. so like i use pushing the door open to go through the door and that is why you should never ever ever take a door from a disabled person who's trying to go through it if you want to help a disabled person who is already going through a door ask do not take the door from them. I've had yeah, people yeah, yeah. try and help me and open a door while I'm going through it. And like I just explained, like I am using that door to help myself. If you take it from me, you could hurt me. And I've been mm-hmm. hurt by people trying to help. So right. don't always ask, always ask if you want to help someone. Always ask. That's really good advice. So how much time are you are, are you out of the chair at all these days? Are you in the chair full time? I'm I'm full time. Yeah. For for a while, for like the first year or so, um, I really only use it for long distances or getting around. Um, I could do maybe like 10, 25 feet without it. Um, I would use my walker, not walker, sorry, my forearm crutches or a cane to help supplement getting around or like holding on to furniture, like furniture surfing. Um, but as of now, I've reached a point where standing, where like even standing is hard. Um, I walk with my boyfriend, but he, 
essentially just like holds me up. Like I, I rely on him a lot to walk and I can't go very far distances before I just get too weak and shaky or feel like I'm going to pass out. Mm. I also have a condition that makes me pass out and being upright right. makes it a lot more challenging. Yeah. It's called reflex syncope. Yeah. Tell us about that. So reflex syncope is like, uh, it's, it's like POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. I think that's a lot more commonly known than reflex syncope. Um, so it just, it makes me lightheaded, nauseous, dizzy. I'll get hot sweats or cold sweats. And this is because my blood vessels aren't constricting appropriately and my heart rate isn't varying to how I need it to be. So my blood pools in my feet. I don't have enough blood and oxygen in my brain. And then my brain is like, abort, abort, pass out, reboot, back to normal. Yeah. And this is like, on top of the other stuff, like, is there any any reason to believe it's related or you just don't know because you don't know what your main condition is? I just don't know. I've yeah. had the passing out issue since I was in high school. That's oh, been wow. an ongoing thing. And it's also got, it has gotten worse with over time. Like I, I was passing out a lot more my freshman year of high school. And now I, I've reached a point or a few months ago, I guess like six to eight months ago, I reached a point where I realized I'm just a lot safer from passing out with using my wheelchair like forget my other yeah. disability <laughs> yeah this helps keep me from passing out but um with the question about walking and standing um a full-time wheelchair user now and i'm, I'm practicing standing because i i'm i feel like i'm beginning to lose that ability and i don't want to lose it so right yeah it's important to it's important to keep your body doing whatever it can do you know i i do i make this mistake a lot where I, my body's not up to do anything, so I don't do anything. And I got to remind myself, it's like, you can stretch on the couch, you know? You can, like, like pull your legs around. You can, like, move your back around. Like, I'm trying to force myself to do this more often. Like, I have a yoga mat. Um, I, I love yoga. I hope to get back to doing it someday. But for now, I can just, you know, sit on the ground and stretch my legs out. Um, yeah, I mean, something my mom said to me when I told her I was getting a wheelchair was, like, I don't want you to stop walking because you have the wheelchair which is interesting because like i need the wheelchair so i can stop walking because walking is really painful and difficult and um and you know you mentioned getting stuck earlier that i that that's a real problem it's like if you if you don't if you can't trust your own mobility and you don't have a mobility aid you get stuck places like i've been stuck on the street before where i'm like i've had to like call my girlfriend to come pick me up somewhere because i couldn't walk anymore um and that can be a real problem like I'll get stuck on one side of the apartment and not be able to get myself water, you know? It's like, I got to make sure yeah. that I have water with me in case I get stuck somewhere. I forgot the point I was trying to make because I was just thinking about how this happened to me the other day and I was like so thirsty. <laughs> you you just say about how your mom didn't want you using right, a yeah, wheelchair yeah. because she didn't want you to stop walking. And yeah. that that that's part of the ableism that exists in society, right? Like, a wheelchair is a bad thing walking is better it is preferred mm. that you walk instead of use a chair like my parents had a bit of a hard time adjusting to me being in a chair and like when i told them that my doctor was thinking about a power chair for me and like i was considering maybe getting a wheelchair van to help with the power chair my dad was like that's sad to think about like they've progressed and like they're a lot more mm. supported but like it's it's sad to think of your kid like yeah. needing more support but like it's not the support that's the bad thing. It's it's the disability. It's well, the disability is the bad thing. It, like it's not a bad thing. It's just 
the it mobility is. aid yeah. is helping. It just is what it, it is. is, you know? You gotta you gotta work with it. Like if you mm-hmm. if you don't work with it, then you're you're not living your full life. Mm-hmm. The mobility aid makes it better. It gives me freedom because right. I, I could not have a wheelchair, right? I could live without a wheelchair. I would be in bed every single day and I'd right. probably slowly starve to death. Right. <laughs> or I can use a wheelchair and then I can go outside like with my power. So with my wheelchair, I could like get around my apartment and do things, but I couldn't really go more than like 50 to 100 feet from my apartment. But with these wheels now, I have so much freedom and independence. I can go to the pizza place. I can go to CVS. Yeah. I can even roll to my campus, which is like, I can see it like it's down the street that way. But like, I can go places and do things because yeah. of my mobility aids and just yes. enjoy my life and live. It doesn't matter how you get around as long as you get around. Absolutely. That's so true. And you know, I, m- my parents have been amazing and so supportive and it is so hard to watch your child be sick, you know? Like I, I, that's a, I've never had kids. I can't imagine what that must be like, but I have had a dog, you know, my, I, my dog miles just passed away recently. He was 17 and he's been with me like half my life. And as he was getting older, you know, watching him be in pain was so hard because like, you can't, you can't ask your dog, what can I do? You know, (laughs) you just got to try stuff. Um, and I just imagine if that was like my child, you know, who, who should be, um, you know, well, should, should is stupid, but just imagine that was my child and how hard that must be to adjust to his parents. Um, mm. So how is your relationship with your parents now? You mentioned that you went through some struggles when you were younger. How, how is that now? If you don't mind me asking. My relationship with my parents is so much better. I'll just like, something will happen and I'll get happy, excited about it or whatever. And I'll call them like, and I'll talk about the thing and they're like oh my gosh hey response like okay cool bye talk to you later and like (laughs) before like when I was in my freshman year of college like I would not call them I avoided them like the plague and like my parents would like occasionally text me be like hey like just checking in like we love you because like you know like it's your kid's first year at college like you want to know that they're okay. They weren't helicopter parents or anything like that. Um, and I'd be like, like, these people, I have to talk to them. And now it's like, <laughs> I talk to them every single day by choice. And it's like, yeah, like, I like you guys. We have a good relationship now. That's awesome. Yeah. So, they live like, oh, go ahead. They live like three hours away from me. So, unfortunately, mm. with everything that's been changing, they haven't been able to physically like help me in person, but like, like I said, like they helped me rent my first wheelchair and my second wheelchair actually. And like, they've helped out with things like that. Or like a few weeks ago, my parents came up for a weekend and they helped me rearrange my apartment and like just make things more accessible and friendly to me. So that was really nice. Earlier you asked me about tips for new wheelchair users. Yeah. Put your brakes on. I don't care if you don't need them, put your brakes on because like me, you might eventually need them but you're in the habit of not using them and then you'll fall out of your chair a million times before you finally get it into your head that you need to put on your brakes. <laughs> so you mentioned that you have a, a boyfriend. How has your health journey impacted your relationships? Um, so specifically, with da- so hmm, how do I start this? When I first started becoming disabled and struggling with health issues, all my friends were super supportive and they've been that way throughout the whole thing. Like whenever I have a new need, whenever I need more support from them, it's whatever. It's natural. They don't think about it. Like putting my chair into the car for me, 
that's natural. They don't really think about it. Bringing me to all of the events and places that they have to, that we go to or that they go to, even though it's extra work to bring my wheelchair compared to without my wheelchair or without me, um, they still do all of that. And they've never once made me feel like they're doing extra. They've never once made me feel bad about it. Like nothing's changed. My friends are absolutely amazing. Like the other night I was outside with my friends and I was like, Hey, I'm missing out on a key disabled experience or not a key one, but like a common disabled experience. Like a lot of disabled people, unfortunately, like lose friends or get poor treatment from their friends or something changes with their friends. And my friends are beautiful people, never did that. But (laughs) my boyfriend at the time, my ex, he's an ex, Hmm. honestly shouldn't even qualify as a boyfriend. (laughs) Um, The first night that I had my wheelchair, he like quoted some study to me about how younger people in nursing homes take longer to get better or don't get better compared to young people not in nursing homes. Like you take on the energy of the people around you or whatever. And he was implying that me using my wheelchair was me making myself worse. And I was like, okay, that's not cool. And there's just, there are so many more issues with him. Microaggressions, but like problems with just my wheelchair, forget all the other things. Um, And at one point, like he told me he was embarrassed to be seen in public with me with my wheelchair and gross wish i could say that i broke up with him then and there sadly i did not but i'm still free of him that trash is gone (laughs) anyways fast forward um when i finally got back into dating i started with tinder because like pandemic can't really see people in person anyways um and i had good experiences that everyone was super nice and friendly that i talked to if they said like weird uncomfortable ableist stuff that usually came out pretty early on so it's kind of like a good filter to be like you are a person i don't want to associate with (laughs) and then i eventually ended up meeting my current boyfriend who i love so much his name is ryan i met him also on tinder and we just clicked like it's just it was just it made perfect sense like the first time we talked was like seven hours on the phone and i was just like this guy like i feel like i've met you in a previous life or something like why is this so perfect that's awesome um yeah and then you you met after you'd already started your you know your journey with a wheelchair so he like knows what he's getting when he meets you um and he makes that choice to be with you anyway because I've also progressed you, because you're an lot. awesome person and you know like that i just think that like people often feel like they don't deserve love once they've had some sort of disability pop up or something like that and you know that's just absolutely not true everyone deserves love going back to your question about advice for new wheelchair users i was focusing specifically on chairs but interacting and engaging with Mm, the disabled community is so important and so empowering and one of the best things that i did for myself was watching a bunch of different youtubers like wheels no heels or wheels to walking or squirmy and grubs or molly burke those are all amazing youtubers you guys should go follow them but they talk about their experiences with being disabled and their lives being disabled and just like seeing disabled people out there living their lives i was like this is hard and they have similar challenges to me but they're still still doing all of these things like they're still making all of these things work and they also gave like a lot of tips and They also gave a lot of tips and tricks for how to just function with a wheelchair. Yeah. But they also gave me a lot more empowerment. So check them out. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, that's kind of what you you were for me with your TikToks. Because I was, like, having some fear around getting a wheelchair, just feeling, like, the social stigma of it. 
and that's when you popped up on my feed right before I got my chair. The first thing I saw was your um your silhouette challenge where you like did a wheelie and kick your foot up in the air and like freeze oh, frame on that. I'm bad. I'm bad. Yeah. <laughs> um and you just like oozing positivity from the wheelchair and I'd never thought about that before, you know? Cuz I never put myself in that position before. I'd never been in that position to like think about myself in a wheelchair. So I just like seeing that was like, "Oh, well, this doesn't have to be a negative thing. I used to see my wheelchair as like a thing that I use. Like I remember when I first had my first chair in my dorm room and I was like, okay, like I need that to get to the dining hall. I need to eat dinner now. I don't have any more mac and cheese that I can microwave. Like I need to go to the dining hall. I need to use this wheelchair. And it was like a very separate thing that was like not a part of me. Like it was just like, that is the thing that I have to use to do the thing I need to do. And now it's like, this is my chair. Like it's comfortable. Like this is, this is how I sit. This is familiar. Like, it's like, it's like an old pair of shoes that like, Mm. I'm just, I'm comfortable in it. And honestly, like I've had dreams where like, I don't have my wheelchair and I'm able to walk. Like I'm completely able body and just like moving around. So I don't need the chair, but then I'll realize, wait, I'm not using a wheelchair right now. And it's like uncomfortable because <laughs> I've gotten so used to having yeah. a chair. Interesting. So where did TikTok come about for you? Like, how did this start? I originally, so <laughs> about two years ago, completely unrelated to all this, two years ago before I was disabled, my friend was like, you should get a TikTok, like start a TikTok, like your videos would do well, like make a TikTok. And I was like, no social media nah because like i hadn't been on social media since high school i deleted everything it just it was too much negative energy it did not make me feel good so i deleted everything fast forward to january february um that's when i started considering getting a service dog i had pre- i previously had my emotional support dog her name was milu maluchikas the puchikas and she was <laughs> a perfect puff um and i adopted her before becoming disabled she was a rescue and she was amazing. She was the perfect dog. And I was able to do some task training with her, but we kind of hit a wall. But she was able to exist with me and live with me because I'd already done so much training with her. And like she could walk my chair safely and do all these things. We were great. We were perfect. Sadly, she passed away. Um, she went completely peacefully. She was with family, didn't seem to be suffering at all. So as far as losing a pet goes, she wasn't suffering. Um, And so I wanted to get another dog um, for babies, bring me comfort, but (laughs) I can't, I can't raise another dog myself. I can't take care of another dog. Like she was older. She had some training. And then I did a bunch of training when I was able-bodied and I just like a new puppy. I couldn't do that. And I would like to have a, I want a service because I need help. I I would have so much more freedom and independence. I would experience so much less pain because like I have days where I'm lying in bed, unable to move. I can't get more water. If I run out of water, if my meds aren't near me, I can't take them. And I could have a service dog on those days. Mm. That would be immensely helpful. Um, And just like other day-to-day things in life as well. So I was like, okay, like I want to get a service dog. I'd been considering one when I first got Milu, but they were so expensive. And I was like, okay, I'll just get a dog. Um, a psychiatric service dog. I was thinking of a psychiatric service dog at first. Obviously, now mobility work would be more beneficial. Yeah. Um, 
And so I started that process and I knew that if I was actually going to do this, I was going to have to fundraise. And I'd done a fundraiser before to try and get power assist for my wheelchair. I got about $300 in nine months and I was super grateful for that. And I was able to put that towards this chart with these power wheels. Um, but I didn't have social media and I was like, that wasn't super effective. So I'm going to make a TikTok account and maybe get a few followers and then I'll have a platform where I can share my GoFundMe link. Hopefully some people will see it. Um, and then my first video like did really well. Like I got a few thousand views within the first few hours. And my friend was like, bro, like your video is doing well. Like you need to make another video. And I was like, okay, like I don't really understand what's happening. Like I had no context for what the numbers meant. Mm-hmm. So I made another video and that one just completely blew up. It was, it was to the sound where it's like, now let me stop and let me hit her with it. And it's like, squeak, 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 squeak. <laughs> so I rock my chair back and forth from one wheel to the other, like just going back and forth. And the rest was history. I just kept posting videos and doing dance stuff. And then eventually, like, I, I it was funny. I didn't t- start talking about my service dog for the longest time because I wasn't, I didn't know how to bring it up. And I was just like self-conscious. So I had the link in my bio, but I didn't say anything. But then when I finally started talking about it, I started getting so many donations. And I was like, wow, okay. It's effective to talk about this. So I'm going to keep doing that. And I, like I said earlier, like I was getting people commenting like, oh, she moved her leg. Like, ah, that's yeah. us. And that's how I started going down the disability awareness route mm. and making more disability awareness type kind of content. Interesting. So the comments kind of drove you to activism because you were getting so many like weird or questionable comments. I just realized how little people knew about certain things and like i i i got ten thousand followers in like the first three days or something like i it was it was when it was i got eight thousand followers the first day it was quick yeah it was really really quick and so within like a week or two i was probably at like 20 something and i i was like wow like people are listening to me like i could I, I can make a difference. Like I can say things like people were commenting, like I learned so much, like, because like you showed me that not all wheelchairs are paralyzed. And I was like, there's so much that I learned when I first became a wheelchair user. There's so many things that I didn't know that I wasn't aware of. And the only reason I know them is because I'm a wheelchair user. So I'm assuming most other people don't know these things because they never had the chance to know it. Society doesn't give us the chance to know these things. Like one, sorry, tangent, but like one thing that I hate when I was in elementary school, all of the special needs kids were separate from me. Mm. And I didn't know why they were separate. Like I didn't understand. I didn't know anything really. Like there were just, I just knew that there were kids that would occasionally come into our classroom, but they would usually like be told to leave. And that was it. Like I would see them in the halls and that was it. So I learned, we don't talk to those people. We don't interact with those people. And it wasn't like, Oh, like, Oh, there's something wrong with him. Like, don't do that. But it's just like, you're not supposed to. And if you grow up with that, and that's all you've experienced when it comes to people with any type of disability, you're going to be hesitant to talk to them. Like yeah. people don't know how to talk to people in wheelchairs. Do what I squat? Do I bend over? Yeah. It starts with kids. That's fascinating. I've never thought about that. Yeah. We had that at my school too. There was like a, a classroom for special needs kids and they were completely segregated from everyone else. Like we never saw them outside of that classroom. Um, and it kind of gives the impression that they, that you shouldn't talk to them, you know, or that they should Mm -hmm. be separated somehow. 
And or like another thing that goes with that, like parents will be walking with their kids and then the kid will be like, look at that person pointing yeah. out whatever thing related to their disability. And the parents go, like, don't do that. Like, that's not appropriate. And yeah. like what they mean is like, it's not appropriate to stare and point at people. Right. But that kid learns, oh, different people. We don't acknowledge different people. Right. Totally. Yeah. There's so much trained behavior from society and internalized behavior that, you know, like, I think our society is going through like some growing pains right now, obviously, where we're trying to figure out how to coexist um, because there's just like this American ideal of like, you're like the strong, tough American white man, you know, <laughs> and like everyone wants to be that like you're, yeah. we're, we're told to be completely independent and like do everything for yourself, like complete self-sufficiency. Humans have never been independent. That's never worked. We've always worked together. We've always supported each other. And if you look through history, like way back when, like throughout history, there's evidence that society has cared for their sick, has cared for mm. their disabled people. Yeah. They valued us back then, but a lot of people don't value us now. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, you know, my my first real look into the uh, disabled community when I was um, in college, I worked at the San Diego... Uh, the Mission Bay Aquatic Center and like teaching kayaking. And then every summer mm -hmm. they would um, do like a, um, they'd have like a group of disabled kids come out and do water sports. And I would always volunteer for that. Um, I mean, like, you know, it was my job, so I got paid, but I volunteered to be one of the people who would lead those um, camp days. And like, I would just do kayaking. And I remember this one kid, David, who was um, in a wheelchair and, he loved, loved being out on the water in the kayak. And I, you know, I always gave him like the special trip. We'd go as extra fast jumping up over the wake and stuff. Cause he just like, couldn't, um, you know, like he didn't have use of his arms or his legs. So, um, but he was like such a cool guy and like so kind. And there was this group of kids that had down syndrome and they were just like, like balls of light you know they were just like amazing souls and i just got to know these kids a little bit over the years um because we'd spend a few days together like once a year i'm like man these are amazing people you know like like it just kind of you know it frustrated me it's like you know why why aren't these people considered to be like amazing complete individuals in our society you know because they just because they have a disability um and like now I'm in this position where I I don't fit into normal society anymore, you know? And like the first time I went out in a wheelchair, the way people talked to me and like looked at me and approached me was completely different, completely different. And I'd been walking mm. with a cane for pretty much a year before that. And that, you know, I, I catch people looking at the cane all the time, but it doesn't change how people interact with me. Um, but the wheelchair was like a night and day difference of people wanting to like get doors for me, like being like much friendlier. <laughs> Everyone has to say hi. And I, I was so pissed off at first. I was like, I don't want to interact with you. Just leave me alone. Yeah. But everyone felt the need to say hi. And like, I didn't want to be like rude and disrespectful. So I'd have to get the social energy and be like, hi, hope you have a nice day. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know what, what you're, what you're doing is so valuable and so important. Just like getting out there on TikTok and TikTok is an incredible platform for 
disability awareness. Like I've learned so much about so many different disabilities in, since I've joined TikTok because um, it's this bizarre platform with this bizarre algorithm that seems to favor certain things. <laughs> but yeah, but what you're doing is so important because um, you're just like, just educating people about what, you know, living with a disability is like um, and the ways in which people can interact with people with disabilities and breaking down some of these, you know, ableist norms. And ableism sounds like, like such a dirty word, you know? And I think that there are a lot of, obviously there's a lot of harm, but, but we all are ingrained with it. You know, it's like, it's taught to our yeah. entire society. So it's not like, mm -hmm. it's not like you're a bad person. If you don't understand ableism, it just means that like, you need to be educated. And that's what you're mm -hmm. doing out there on TikTok. And I just really want to commend you for that. Cause it's, it's just really powerful work that you're doing. How many followers Thank do you, you have now? Um, 58,000. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And you're like using your platform for so much good. And I mean, that's what everyone should do. And I, again, I commend you for, for doing that. It's really powerful. Thank you. I have, I have so many goals and dreams for it in the future. Like I started it to fundraise for a service dog for me. Cool. Great. And like, I'm over a third of the way to my goal, like yeah. two, two months, $11,000. Like, wow. Wow. But my, my, I started it to fundraise, right? I got $900, not 900. I got $300 in nine months without social media. And I was like, okay, social media will help. It is helping. It <laughs> is helping. And my hope is that after, like, I think I'm going to get to my goal soon, like probably by my birthday. Um, and after that, hopefully people will keep donating because I want to start putting that money towards the service dog programs that donate dogs to individuals for free who mm. can't fundraise for themselves. Cause yeah. I am so privileged and lucky in the fact that I can bet dance and record videos and do the things that I do. Like a big part of my following comes specifically just from my dance videos where I'm not doing anything disability awareness related. And I, because I can dance, because I have that privilege, I can do the awareness. I can get the attention to my GoFundMe. And so I want to, harness the good of people's hearts to put funds towards other people and hopefully help get them service dogs and then eventually towards my nonprofit. But that's yeah. not that that's down the line. Yeah. Awesome. That's that's incredible. Do you have any uh any final thoughts you want to leave us with as far as the way disabled people are seen in the world or your own journey or anything like that? Every life is valid. Every single individual is valid and has something to offer whether it be what you're expecting from them or not, they have amazing things to offer. Um, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. No matter, how bad, no matter how bad things get, there's always a million reasons to smile. Damn, that was great. Wow. <laughs> Those are great final thoughts. Okay, and last thing, <laughs> let's plug everything. So I'll, I'll put links to everything in the description of the podcast, but... Um, and now you're on TikTok. I'm a roll with it, which is, uh, let me see if I can do this. I am a R O L L W I T H I T, right? I'm a roll with Missing it. Missing one M. No. I M M A. I M M A. Okay, I was close. <laughs> and eventually that'll be your website. Um, but any anything else that you want to plug or share with us? Um, I don't think so. I'm on Instagram, but I just repost my TikToks. <laughs> I love that you looked around your apartment. And you're like, is there anything else I have to share? 
Um, well, that's fantastic. And eventually the website, I'm a roll with it as well. Um, I'm really excited to see what you do with that. Um, yeah. And let's stay in touch. I feel like our goals are very similar. And if we can, you know, amplify each other's projects, I, I think that's, you know, we, we all got to, we all got to work together. Like there's so much that could be done for the, you know, the, the chronically ill community that is mm. not being done. So we got to do it for ourselves. Yes. Absolutely. And we're gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna do it. Maya, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. I, I'm so excited to be able to talk to you. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. This has been lovely. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com.